I think a lot of the issues do come from people not being heard. And if you do have better consultation, that's going to help. But it's not just the quantity of consultation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually the quality of it and the methodology that you're using, right? And it's not just the fact that there's programs happening. Sure, it's great. You can run tens of thousands of programs, but if mm-hmm. they don't have the right methodology or have the right accessibility, then they're not going to be used. If, for example, even in the city of Ride, mm-hmm. if you look at our social plan, you'll see that mental health and social isolation are one of the biggest issues that young people are facing in the area. Something mm-hmm. around, according to service providers, 70% of young people are facing. Um, despite that, our usage rates for mental health services are at about 7%. Mm-hmm. 7% like that's it of of the entire capacity of the mental health service only 7% of it is being used wow why why do you think this happens like like well we asked we actually went out there and asked people mm-hmm. why don't you go to your mental health services yep. why don't you see your school counselor uh first answer we got i don't trust the school counselor mm. they don't keep whatever I tell them a secret. They'll have to tell my parents. They'll have to tell the principal. True. Correct. Sure. This actually this happened to me. So, you know, is it really a lack of services or is it the policy and the structures of how we're implementing these services that are keeping people from using them as well? Yeah. And the methodology also, as you, as you mentioned, right? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, and that's why I like to talk about methodologies because, as you said, consultation can be very viable in terms of, you know, distributing, let's say, a survey or having a a working group or a focus group. But sometimes I feel like if you can combine combine that with a process like we use in co-design or in asset-based community development, where people also get the space and time to connect and to have conversations, to use storytelling, as I mentioned before, and to form that social capital, you're actually having outcomes. People like to hear about outcomes from the actual process and methodology you use because people feel more listened, heard, you know, they feel more like the self-esteem improves. They feel connected mm. to other people. Maybe they make a friend, but also from the actual result, whatever the co-production will be, you know, whatever will be co-designed at the end. And um, yeah, when it goes to mental health, I feel it's a totally different game. I think you're getting into, you know, interesting conversations here, Cosmin. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Well, I, I personally, the, the way that I see it, I think that community development, outreach services, mental health, uh, if we want to take a, a more holistic approach at resolving all of this, I think all of it should be intertwined. I agree. Actually, I don't know if yeah. you know, and you know, people don't know probably because in social media, I talk about my social enterprise, you know, soul gen and community yeah. development. and you. But I'm a counselor. And I'm actually on the side of doing, of running my social enterprise. Uh, I do crisis counseling, like critical incident counseling. So I go to organizations, I go to detention centers, I go to different industries, and I I, I hold like space for people one on one or group, um, in times of crisis. So I see, you know, in times of grief, in times of redundancy, and the reason I'm so passionate about community development is because I realize how important that is, you know. Mm. I'll give you an example, a very quick example. You know, I've been to a school in uh, um, in the South Coast, 
like where something happens with a teacher. I can't say the place, you know, in terms of confidentiality. Yep. But I've seen the difference between a school in South Coast where the whole community mobilizes to help the actual teacher and the family, you know, and you see everyone there caring and being there, being a small community, versus mm. the impact of uh, people, you know, falling into cracks and breaking down and in a system where there is not enough humanity, you know, in, let's say, in Sydney. So I've seen these examples, but I also know in terms of my own you know, mental health and of the work that I do, um, how important it is, like, to come in a safe space and have an opportunity to share what you're going through. You know, I think this is very powerful and I don't know if this is happening enough. I was actually doing a survey through a Roselle Neighborhood Center project. We're co-designing um, an environmental cafe through a consultation and co-design. And young people talked about safe space repeatedly. They talked about safe space. And I also saw a, a post in LinkedIn about from Mayan. I know you're involved with Mayan. Mm. And Part of the project, and you can talk a bit more about that, was also, I think I saw like radical care and safe space, wasn't it? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So talk, talk to me a bit about that, about uh, your journey. You know, you talked about RIDE, the council, the gap that you saw, how you started Zoomers for Change, and I'm sure there is more story there. Uh, yeah. But I think also you're involved with Mayan, aren't you? That's correct, yeah. I'm a Mayan youth ambassador. There's, there's many of us and very proud to be part of yeah. such a great team um, really I think if you are a young person and you know you are new to this country you've moved to this country uh, Mayan is a great space to really just get in touch with your roots and 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 not in a sense of well your roots as well how do I put it really Mayan is just a great place to get back in touch with yourself really and mm. explore who you are as an individual and it, they allow you for you to do that um, and I think that coming back to a safe space, I think that that's what a safe space is really all about. Um, generally, I think sometimes people have this idea that a safe space can be based on censorship and can be based mm, on sense. limiting uh, how we're allowed to explore our feelings. And actually, in a workshop that we were doing just this last weekend, we had one of these situations where a wow. participant in the program was not, you know, did, was wondering what's appropriate to share, you know, mm -hmm. like, can I, can I share my trauma with everyone? Uh, or is this a safe space? Do I have to rephrase my trauma? And, and th that's actually it. I think in a safe space that is ultimately determined by the participants and, the best thing that you can do as a facilitator and really as anyone trying to build a safe space is to open up people's capacity for hearing difficult conversations mm. whilst still feeling safe. So it's actually, I would like to rephrase it and call it more of a brave space than a safe space. I love that. I love that because uh, I feel like, um, you know, sometimes we do take a safety um safety position but it comes from a place of fear from a place of what if something goes wrong and it doesn't give the dignity of risk to people it's just giving in it's just giving in in my opinion and, and it's about also denying yourself you know and your trauma because if they ask you to be involved sometimes share your story in a conference let's say i'm just giving different examples you know and uh, talk about yourself embrace your culture 
um, if you are not allowed, if you don't have permission, you know, invisibly or visibly to talk about some aspects, um, how can that be a transformational space? And I'm not saying everyone should start like, you know, talking about everything and, and talking about the trauma anywhere. I'm not saying that. It does require, as you, meant, uh, good, as you mentioned, you know, good facilitation and particular skills to be able to hold space for those yeah. brave conversations. I also place, think right? it depends on the culture because back in Romania, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, let's talk about culture. <laughs> I'm Greek, <laughs> you're Romanian, so let's do it. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I, I don't know how it is in Greece, but uh, in Romania, people love to complain and <laughs> they will talk about anything that happened to them, about their okay. trauma, about their terrible childhood, about the fact that they don't have enough money to pay for rent to anyone, uh, you know, and actually. People are very open about how terrible life is for them. Mm-hmm. So that that is actually a question. Um, how does that change society? And is is it actually okay to maybe be more open about talking about our trauma? And how you know maybe is Australian society not open enough? Yeah, that's a great question, Luke. Um, I think. You know, I, I've done some work for in the mental health sector in the past. And for example, for the Greek community, um, even though Greek community also, Greeks, we also like to complain, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, we are neighbors, after all, <laughs> in <laughs> Europe. Um, we found, though, that um, Greek people are open to discuss mental health because there is also stigma, you know, in Greece, in the Greek culture many times, yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, talking about mental health um, and, you know, being open about, talking about, you know, if people are, like, uh, having issues or, you know, challenges. We found that theater is a very safe platform to do so. So when I was working in Partners in Recovery in the past, we used uh, playback theater, we used um, different type of, um, you know, uh, artistic interventions to get people to see something and, you know, remove the stigma and connect to that through someone else's story and then talk about their own selves. So I feel like the the thing of culture and what's culturally appropriate is very interesting. But also you're attaching into something that I'm also, we, we also talk in the sector, which mm. is about, um, you know, I, I mentioned about the top-down system before. Yeah. But I also, like, we have to acknowledge that we also operate in a very paternalistic, Eurocentric, like, you know, white system you know, in Australia yeah. many times. And this Absolutely. is something that we're also trying to hack, right? Well, where, you know, I see a lot of people saying the right things, you know, but are we walking the talk? Are we really opening up to have those conversations about culture, about mental health, about what do you think? That's actually a really good question. And yeah, it it actually, if you want to really raise the bar on, on what walking the walk really means, I think a lot of us, are going in with a model of what we think is right, mm. um, going in with, you know, as you already said, solutions that we are coming up with outside of the community or situation that we're actually seeking to address. And we're trying to almost adopt a kind of blueprint approach to solving community issues, which by the very definition of community issues are yes. each unique to their community, right? So, so that is actually a very good question, you know, and is it one brought up? And, and I think, you know, if, if I had to answer it and make a judgment call, 
I'd probably say, no, we're not really doing it in, in the best holistic way, or at least the whole sector, the sector as a whole is not, you know? Yes, and, the majority of the sector, because there are examples, as you mentioned, of organizations and councils who are trying to do it. Yeah, exactly. People, like, like your experience in Mayan. So I want to ask you about that. Um, mm. Because I think, you know, we talk about theory, it's good to also like ground it to examples, you know, and, and yeah. from, from organizations and different experiences, yeah. just, especially for just, you as a young person. You know, yeah. um, I, I just want to say, I think a big part of why that is, is part of the funding models. You know, you yes. a, lot of, a lot of organizations wouldn't get their programs through unless they applied for a grant, you know, and it's hard to apply for a grant and get it unless you know what your program is going to look like. Um, but what if the first step of your program is actually to find out what your program looks like and do that in partnership with community? But then, of course, the problem is how do you describe that on a grant application? I think there are ways, Cosmin. I, 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 yeah. I have been having this conversation with other people, even from different councils. You know, there are ways mm. to, you know, there are methodologies, there are like evidence on this type of approach that are more participatory you know, co-design mm. with community. Like, for example, the Harwood approach that uh, um, involves community conversations. And we use that in different spaces. The question is for, for me and for other colleagues of mine, we are talking a lot about mindset. Are yeah. people aware that we are operating in this top-down, quite, as you said, interventional system, like almost like a medical model that sees an issue and tries to solve it, cure it, yeah. you know? Um, and B, if we are aware... Um, is there enough information and support out there for people to start developing this work um, without risking, you know, everything, without risking funding? I'll give you an example. Like when I was uh, invited as a consultant, like to um, work with young people through the Roselle Neighborhood Center, the funding came from NDIS. So the organization was making more income from NDIS. And I'm honest with you. And, you know, the CEO is honest from Roselle Neighborhood Center. And they got some of these income, a part of that, to fund genuine youth and community development. Um, so what I'm saying, Cosmin, and maybe I'm mm -hmm. wrong, feel free to disagree, is that when there is a way, some, when there is a will, sometimes there is a way. But yep. is there a will? That's my <laughs> question. And that's why I like to create and have those conversations like we're having today. Because for some people, they may, they may have never experienced a conversation like this, right? Yeah. That's that's exactly it. And the best thing you can do is go out there and keep having conversations if you are in the space. And, you know, for example, if, if you're in a similar spot to what Zoomers for Change is, mm -hmm. if you're in a, if you're in an area without much infrastructure or 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 real sector for community development and youth development specifically, the best thing you can do is probably getting, you know, if it's youth, getting young people in a room you know, hearing, you know, getting them to think aspirationally and actually empowering them to, you know, take the first steps to building change to build that will, really, because you raised a very good point. If there's a will, there's a way. So often there isn't a will. And, you know, it, I think it is time for us to really get thinking about how we increase that will in the sector everywhere. Yes. And I totally agree. And I, you know, admire the work that you do with the Jumans for Change. I want to go back to something you mentioned at the beginning, at the very beginning. Remember the question about what do you do to get people to listen? Yeah. Um, 
I we say in ABCD, like one, you know, one of the mentors, like Peter Kenyon, um, mm. it's very, you know, he's a community enthusiast and he travels the world working with the asset-based community development. He, he said, uh, um, let's not wait for the white cavalry to save us. And he said that because he wanted to make a point that sometimes, you know, it's important to, and I believe that it's important to, you know, to advocate, to change the system, to reform policies. I do agree with that. It's very important. That's how, you know, business is conducted, communities conducted. But some other times I feel it's also important to be a bit of a change maker yourself, as you're doing with Zoomers for Change, mm -hmm. and to go on a different journey and to create something new, you know, and then to share that with others. So my, you know, my like ultimate answer is both. It's important to find ways to crack and hack the system and influence things. And I admire people who do that every day, you know. They go to the parliament, they talk to their MPs, they go to these forums, they advocate. That's not easy. Mm. I, you know, I wouldn't do that. I'm not doing that. But I also feel, you know, a lot of uh, innovation is needed in terms of uh, youth-led and community-led pro programs, social enterprises, and find ways to empower ourselves and our communities and young people to lead the change they want in their communities. I know it's a process, uh, but I feel maybe it's the way to go. Absolutely. I think, I think that, you know, a big part of the issue of what we've always been talking about here is the very nature of that top-down approach being restricted from new people coming into the sector and changing how you know you do things and and really i think the only way that you can come in and actually change things and create something new and and build something for for your community when the top isn't up for it is exactly as you said to go and do it on your own see if you can do it as a grassroots initiative and actually if you do achieve that perhaps you might not get as much funding yes. perhaps you might not get as much industry recognition or anything like that but the truth is i think you would have done far more work uh, and far more impact even if less people showed up uh, because you are just limitless in your methodology you can really advocate for your participants to do and achieve anything. And at the end of the day, you're building a community, which is the goal. Amazing. And I think at the end of it, also like super confident and having a good night's sleep, right? By, by living with your values as you are doing, isn't it? Well, whoever can have a good night's sleep during lockdown. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> when it's not the lockdown. But I'm saying that, Cosmo, because even talking to you, you know, I'm really admiring how confident you are and how wise. And I'm sure that it's because you have also had the courage or lack or opportunity, you know, to take a risk and, you know, do something about the issue you saw and start something new, right? Start some your own innovation and, and be a change maker. And I feel the amount of uh, confidence you win and satisfaction is, is big, isn't it? Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it. And I'm not saying that's not also a challenge. I'm not, you know, um, I'm not, uh, I'm acknowledging also that it's, it's like, it's not an easy path, right? Well, it's, it's very but difficult. But it's a rewarding one. Yeah. yeah. 